the Gallcast, the Gaulish Polytheist Podcast. I'm Ardo Carlos. And I'm Branagara. And today we have a very, very cool episode. We're going into animism, which is kind of the backbone of polytheism, not just for Gaulish, but just polytheism in general. It is. And now we have a, a guest for today, and we'll get him on here in just a second. Uh, but he is Gaulish polytheist like us. He's also a druid. Uh, and his name is Brenos, and I can't pronounce the last name because I'm bad at it. Can you? <laughs> Brenos Carnuto Druidon. There we go. And welcome back. Our last episode, we had a couple of sound difficulties. I would like to say we promise that won't happen again, but I would be lying, and it's going to happen frequently until we get real microphones, <laughs> which may or may not happen anytime soon. Let's be totally honest. <laughs> And believe me, it's my own personal hell trying to edit through all that quagmire of audio. <laughs> now, um, we were considering putting our podcast up on YouTube, not as a video recording, but as just the audio with, you know, a logo or something up on it. So if our listeners want to go ahead and get back to us, let us know if they would like that. Go ahead and just leave a comment on whatever format of listening to podcasts you use, because we're on all of them. Uh, and let us know if you want us to do that. Uh, it's something that we've talked about, something we've kind of noodled around, and I figured it would probably be best if we actually just ask the people who listen. And it's, um, the, you know, the reason the topic came up is uh, I've had uh, various coworkers and a couple people on Discord ask me if we were going to do a YouTube channel, and I would love to dive into that. If you want to just, just hear the podcast, I thought about uh, doing, like, small little videos on random little miscellaneous topics. You know, just, uh, yeah, uh, definitely let us know, comment, uh, send us a message on, on what you guys would want, and we'll try to facilitate as best we can. All right, awesome. And should we, Articados, go ahead and just jump into the topic? Might as well, yeah. I, I mean, uh... All right, well, let me go ahead and bring on our lightning-slinging druid. Welcome, Bronos. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> um, now, Bronos... Can you give us a little bit of a, an idea of who you are and what you do uh, before we hop into the topic? Sure. I do lots of things. Uh, hard <laughs> to really say. Um, yeah. A blacksmith, crafter, study all kinds of uh, different aspects of ancient cultures. I'm going to help out Mr. Modest here. Brynos is the Welatos of Galaction. He's one of the three founding members of the Bessus Nuo Galation. He's also the creator of GaulishPolytheism.com and just is always working writing articles for his blog, the Carnusian uh, Amaton. He's got his uh, craft shop, the the Carnusian Workshop. Just the guy's doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. And now. You're our guest for talking about animism. Uh, the reason why we picked you is because, one, you explain it the best for people who are new. Uh, and, two, you get very passionate when you talk about things, and that's always something we enjoy. Now, we're going to ask you questions throughout this. We'll probably interrupt you. We have bad manners. We interrupt each other a lot. We're going to start off with a pretty simple one. And what is animism as a general whole? Uh, animism would be the feeling you get from things around you, the connection you have with those things. So just kind of like the, the resonant energy. Exactly. Okay. I know the um, uh, online definition is the, uh, the, the idea that 
places, things, animals, objects have a spirit or soul to them. And um, in some cases, those spirits are evolved, uh, maybe not evolved. Sentient? um, Or kind of seen as minor, yeah, sentient, uh, like as minor deities in some cases. Sure. I would have to say that for me personally, um, there's a difference between soul and spirit, right? Some things to me have a soul and a spirit. Some things just have a spirit. For instance, I don't necessarily think a rock has a soul. It does have a spirit, but again, you you say you're a bird and you landed down on that rock. That rock itself has a spirit. Well, that bird jumps up and flies up. The more it flies up, it looks back down and there's more rocks and there's a big river attached to that. Now, I would say that whole energy around that, now that's where the soul comes into place with naturalistic things like that. Okay, so a little bit more of like the the interconnected whole as opposed to just an individual thing. Sure. I mean, like for instance, you and me, we have mm-hmm. a soul and we have a spirit. So I would I would say there's there's a difference between a living thing and a I you know the opposite of living. I wouldn't use the word dead, you know, because that's not mm. exactly defining a rock. Uh, Maybe like inert. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Uh, So, you know know what I mean? I would say like we each give off a certain kind of energy and that energy would be like our spirit. Okay. No, that actually makes sense. I had to think about that for a moment, but all right. So spirit is more of the energy and soul is more of the sentience. Right. Exactly. Okay. Now, how would that tie into polytheism? Well, I mean, I guess that that's a hard question to answer because, I mean, there's many kinds of polytheism. But the very beginning of things are very animistic. One could look at it as at one point we all used to go travel together to go to the sacred site. For instance, healing shrine, spring, a bath, river, whatever. And we used to all go there. Because of the energy, it's resonating with us, and it's all that stuff. The goddess or God, most of the time goddess, were there. And as we start to, to evolve and understand a little bit more about ourselves in the natural world around us, the more we realize that we don't necessarily have to go to that spring anymore. We can be at home or around our house and create a dedication of some kind, whether that's you know, an idol in the shape of the feeling that that spring 300 miles away used to give us. Now it's right here at our home. And that like, you know, is the goddess now based upon that resonating energy from that healing spring that was very animistic to us. We turn that into a a God or, you know, it was a God all along. It just depends on interpretation there. So underneath polytheism, well, Underneath every theism and everything is an animistic approach. It's interesting you say that. I, I was doing a little bit of research on animism beforehand, trying to come up with questions for you. And it, it just seems like animism kind of uh, came before all these established uh, religions, belief systems, spiritualities, or what have you. It, it all started with like the, the stepping stones that is animism. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just natural. 
it's part of who we are. We're connected to this, to this place. And animism is, you know, again, it's a, a word with letters in it, create definitions. It becomes a term. It's thrown around, blah, blah, blah. Minus all that, you, we get to the, the heart of what it is. And that is that interconnectedness between mm-hmm. everything that is, that's here. You can strip everything away. All the idols, all the names and everything to the gods and books and stories and all that, you still have that connection. You can't strip that interconnectedness to the cosmos away. Yeah, so um, kind of getting a little more specific from the last question, how would that tie into Gaulish polytheism? Well, lots of ways. For one, like for instance, the Nemetin, right? Our sacred space. We have a goddess, Nematona. It's connected to this sacred space. And we have writings, you know, writing from a Roman poet that describes our Nematons. And he describes in this, like, gory detail, kind of this, you know, very dark um, aspect. And whether one wants to believe those writings were true or not, that's up to the individual. Me, for one, like to think that they are true because I can see it now. I can see a place that is a sacred space. And to keep people out, because we got to remember the Gauls before Rome and all that jazz, um, their sacred spaces were outside, you know, oak groves and things like this. So there's no doors there. There's no way to keep people out like there is temples and stuff. So you create this atmosphere on the outside of it, which were severed heads, you know, all kinds of things from that description, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that right there is very animistic in itself because it showed you the power of Nematona right here and right then, right? right? Right there on the outside. It's the protector. You know, the more I'm talking about it, the more there necessarily is not a how is Gaulish polytheism and animistic thought. Like, when it's just intermittent. It's the same. There's not really a distinction in a sense. It's just part of connecting to the land and the world around you. I mean, like, all the most of all the goddesses are associated with rivers. You got mountain gods and mountain goddesses. You got smithing gods that um, were associated with mountains as well for the minerals and mining and all these things. To where next thing you know, you have mining happening. Mining is very animistic itself. It is creating this energy. People looking at this with awe, inspiring of thought, and bringing it higher than themselves because it's starting mm-hmm. to dominate themselves. So it's one and the same. Okay. So there's really no reasonable way to separate animism out of spirituality. I think not. Like at the start of the sentence, I was like, well, there's a few things, but I'm, was it, that's incorrect. I mean, what I was saying that was just more few kind of examples, but there, yeah, there is no distinction. It's just a part of it. And polytheistic thought is animistic thought. You know, um, bubble-eating gods. 
animus, sure, but underneath that is animistic. That's how we even got to that stage. Now, is it reasonable to be able to just be an animist without being a theist? Yeah, sure. The thing is, like, you will probably end up becoming a theist at some point. Not everybody. It just depends on the personality of the individual. We're all programmed differently. And we connect with things that make sense to us and the world around us. Yeah, I mean, you can be believe in the spirits and the souls of things without believing in the gods and goddesses all around. Uh, so this was this was a question I uh, I, I wrote in there. <laughs> so at various uh, online sources say that animism can be applied to uh, not just things but even uh, words. And if that is something that you uh, agree with. Um, just an example, uh, would that be applied to people who use runes or runas for divination? Yeah, I mean, everything is animistic. So, yes, I mean, words are very powerful things. Now, if somebody's not used to, like, if, if you're looking at, at somebody who's brand new to embracing the idea of animism and they're, and they're wanting to try and find a way to incorporate it into their spiritual praxis, how would you recommend kind of getting started there? incorporating animism into your life yeah i wouldn't recommend because it's already there you know but people are people are already animist you know what i mean like you have the so say there's somebody that's new to things and stuff like that and they have you know a little altar and they have the rocks and they're they're things that they like put on those shelves well the reason why you have those on your shelf is because you have a connection to those things, mm-hmm. whether it's the rock, whether it's the the statue, the cloth, whatever. You already are there. It's you already have that connection. It's just a matter of really, really more of a matter of just acknowledging that connection. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just the term. Again, it's that term. The feeling is there. The connection is there. Most people are animistic and they don't even know it. Okay. Almost everybody is animistic and don't know. Now, does animism also apply to created objects? Uh, like yeah. um, cars, knives, houses? Oh, this is one of those topics that is somewhat new. It's hard for me because I am somebody that tries to live backwards. Um, so... I like to make my own things and do all these things. And I know the energy I put into making something. I'm creating something to have a certain energy. When I go back and I shape the knife, I'm forming an energy within there that's going to resonate with something else. Um, now, when it comes to factory machine-made things, I would say there's probably still a animistic quality if it's a good thing person that's when we kind of go into this weird realm things right like Mm -hmm. uh, of course i'm gonna say that because i like to make handmade stuff um i would say that for instance if somebody was going to buy an idol i would recommend always going to buy the idol from somebody that handmade it just because it's not a reproduction you know it's got sweat hours time involved in creating this not just creating the idol itself, but the image and thought that went into how many concepts was there before it came to this. 
um, compared to something bought from the store. I don't know if we call that animism. I, I don't know. I haven't really thought that much into that part because usually I try to deny those things in my life. But again, there is a spirit to it. I'd have to, you know, just don't mm-hmm. know if it's good or bad. Well, I, you know, as a crafter myself, I, I noticed things that are, like you said, things that are handmade, like there is like an energy to it. You could, you could feel that person's energy, the, the toil, the, the attention they put into it, the, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears, uh, definitely blood for me, the, the times I've cut my hands carving, carving <laughs> idols. Um, and, but like, it, there's something way more, like something beyond sentimental, like there's definitely a power to it versus something that's, you know, bought from a store that was, you know, factory made, you know, it was just, you know, someone pushed a button and then poof, it came out. It, there's not much really, uh, not much substance into an object like that. Something that kind of leads into that, like if you have, let's say, a house, uh, like my house was built in 1934. Now, I would assume in 1934 when it was built, there wasn't a whole lot of energy to it. It was a new house that hadn't been lived in. But now this is an old house that has had multiple families in it, uh, that has had deaths happen in it, births happen in it. Would you think that something with that kind of a history, do you think that that would be a little more cookie cutter build? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's multiple things that go into that, right? First, you have mm-hmm. the land that the house is even on, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a part of an energy right there. And then you have the multiple different people that built the house, right? From their mm-hmm. hard work and their time and their energy. And then all the different people that lived in the house. All the different things that went on. So I would say even that is different than you know, something mass produced, you know, it's, it's multiple hands on, it's multiple things that made that. So, so yeah, okay. it's, it's a little different than, you know, uh, like if a bus was like shot out of a little thing or it's a boom, maybe in time as it exists, but the problem is the things that these things are made out of don't even exist that long to even get to have animistic or energies to resonate. Uh, so this is a, a question I wrote down based on something I did a little while back where I had a personal, you know, spiritual experience with the uh, the Spokane River, which is a river very close to where I live. And I, uh, I, I, the last time I was there, I found some driftwood and I made an idol out of it to kind of honor the spirit of the, the Spokane River. I did some research beforehand, and uh, obviously that's a very sacred area to the uh, – um, the native tribes of the area that I live in. For those, you know, who live in America and in other areas with indigenous tribal history, uh, how can one practice animism without crossing into cultural appropriation? Because that was something I tried to walk the, the, the line on very, very strictly. That's a, that's a hot topic. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, it is. So we're um, here for the hot topics. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say, you know, to always respect the people, like the things around you, you know, it's not just with nature and yeah. stuff like that, but also the people. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those hard, hard realms. I mean, I would personally um, go out and seek, uh, like for me, if I have questions like this, I ask my neighbor, um, he's Cherokee here. So when I have certain questions about this, I ask him, 
Um, but, you know, at the heart of it, he doesn't speak for a whole Cherokee people either. So I don't know if I have the realm to answer that question coming from those cultures, you know? That's fair. That's fair. I was just uh, curious on your opinion on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I get it. If you want to, we have here multiple mountain peaks, Pisgah, Mount Mitchell, you know, and they have energy resonating, you know, very animistic, you know, different. You know, Mount Mitchell is the highest point east of the Mississippi. So when you go over there, you know, it's like 20 minutes away or so. Um, it's very different kind of energy that you're resonating with than down here. You know, the temperature is 30 degrees different. There's different kinds of animals up there, different kinds of trees. It's like another country almost. But, you know, I just kind of, uh, I don't go out of my way to overthink those things. Like I just you know, go there and, and I take pictures and I respect it. I walk, I take my banjo or my flute or instrument and play music. That's kind of how, you know, I don't give them names. I don't, I just trash if I see it, you know, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That when I, when I made my idol to the, to the Spokane river, I did, I made sure not to, to name her. I just refer to her as the spirit of the spirit of the river. Yeah. Exactly. But exactly. That's exactly what I was talking about early on, though, when I was talking about people going to the baths and stuff. Right. To. Yeah, we have the we have the Chattahoochee here. She's a big girl. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's exactly what you did was you took an animistic quality of something you felt from this, you know, river and you created it in, into a god or goddess. That's that's how simple it is for. Oh, kind of a kind of a part two to that, and um, is like, I, I, you know, as polytheists, we've seen that there are different smaller groups within the community that um, they, they they mix their um, kind of white supremacist kind of nonsense into it. Like uh, you, you see it a lot in like uh, heathenry, uh, and like just the the misuse of uh, spirituality and, and polytheistic practice. Can this be done with animism can animism be misused well i mean it, yeah by not respecting not respecting you know um and that misuse can be how any any way somebody could misuse something it's just think it can really be transformed into something like these uh crap groups do personally because it kind of goes against the whole thing in general animistic it's not the same thing polytheistic right that's where it becomes a problem right say you made that idol and you took it home and you said that this idol from the spokane river that was created out of an animistic quality now this idol has become of a, a goddess in a sense you associate hateful rhetoric towards it then sure i hadn't thought about that i, I see what you're saying if someone's going out and doing something like rock hunt or if let's say I'm on uh, uh, bureau land management land and you can actually like forage and stuff there, or if I'm a private property that I've got the permission to be on, um, is there a way to sort of thank the spirits of the land for whatever it is we are able to gather? Yeah. I mean, that's just all based upon your custom and tradition, your religion or belief, you know, um, could be a very simple thing as saying a prayer, a thank, Thanksgiving prayer, you know, just a thankful prayer. That could be it. 
um, unless you have something to leave behind, as long as it's not something that's going to har harm the environment, you know, um, that would be good as well. What are some good sorts of offerings to leave? Like things that'll be, that you can leave like a little something that aren't, that's not going to hurt the environment. Like, do you have suggestions? Well, yeah, you can leave. If you have a necklace, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I know that might sound messed up, you know, taking off your perfect necklace that you love um, to leave behind to pick up a rock. But in that moment, that's the gifting cycle. We gift things that we love, not things that we just don't really care about, right? Um, so mm -hmm. anything like this. Um, I have, you know, I make my Sakelos hammers, and I go through a bunch of them because different places I go and, like, say I'm wandering through the forest, and I, you know, I like to go off the trail and stuff with my kid, and we might come across this cool little stream. And it has like a perfect rock to sit down on. Like I'm like already grant, you know, granted permission to sit because that's, there it goes. There's a rock to sit on. You know, I might sit down and the only thing I might get out of that, I might not take nothing from there, but all I might take at the moment is, you know, solitude, a state of peace, a state of clarity. And, you know, I'll take the necklace off and hang it up on, in one of the trees. It's made of wood. so. You know, it, wood and twine, hemp twine, so, or cotton. So, yeah, I mean, be something very simple like that. If you're carrying, like I carry with me, um, I carry coffee grounds. Is there any, are there places that you shouldn't leave something like coffee grounds? Like I know that coffee grounds are great for my plants, but are they going to hurt, like, let's say a forest plant? I mean, you know, it's probably not good for like the fish in the water. So don't leave it by the water. I'm not too sure on if it's acidic coffee grinds. I don't know if that would harm the environment because it's not technically from that environment. Mm -hmm. But I, I would say that anybody that does something like this, you should do your research and know what you sh you should be leaving without harming anything. And do you um, have any good suggestions on resources for either reading more about animism or maybe like podcasts uh, or things like I that? Would, I would say the best resource you have is the self. Um, so basically what I mean by that is don't worry about a book to learn about animism. Get up, go outside, find a, find a, a same spot, the same spot, a spot that resonates with you around get the feeling of that moment time space and when you're done go back home write it down in a book next day go back out there <clears throat> get that feeling you know feeling come back write it down and see how much looking at that same wood line has changed within that month of you writing things and how much the fog was there and the dim lit moon time um, how you felt, how that energy was compared to, you know, the next day or a couple of days later when it was a clear starry night when the trees you can see, how that gave you a totally different vibe, a totally different energy right there is animistic. Um, and that's all you need to know to, to learn that stuff.
go wander the stream, look down at the ground, and find a rock that resonates with you. That's all you need to do. You don't need a book. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I haven't read any books on animism, but yeah, I would definitely say personal experience is probably the best way to, to get familiar with it. I know that's how it was for me uh, when I got started, and I, that's when I had my experience with the, with the Spokane River. There's been a several, um, you know, natural, there's a hill next to my house that just it has this really good calming energy to it. And, and it's like that, you know, just kind of exploring around some of the more rural areas, like there's uh, like ponds and um, various hiking trails that just have this really good feel to it. And, and it's something you kind of feel in your bones in a way. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, gods and goddesses, how sometimes they have different aspects to them, like different personas. Well, when you go up to that forest and you look at the forest this day compared to the next day when it's raining, when it's sunny, when it's cold, when it's warm, those are different aspects it's given you. Different vibe, same forest. Today, the yeah. forest is filled with bats, and tomorrow it's not. It's filled with flowers. Yeah, I've noticed that with um, the my favorite state park up here that I go to. I've gone year-round, all year, and the way it feels in every season is so drastically different. Yes, yes, exactly. And one of the key things into paying attention to these things is that you're paying attention to the cosmic order of, of things. And within that, it helps you with intuition. And that's key. That's like the gift it gives you. Well, well Articato, do you have any other questions? Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, I think we, uh, I think we both just learned a lot today. Um, <laughs> I did learn a lot. Thank you, Bronos. Yeah, of course, there's many different ways and views. Well, yeah, thank you for cool. joining us. Um, uh, well, uh, before we let you go, I'll uh, I'll do a little promotion for you. Um, for anyone that uh, wants to see or perhaps purchase some of uh, Brenos's lovely crafts, uh, jewelry, um, uh, board games, just all the neat stuff you make, uh, head to thecarnutianworkshop.com and, yeah, put the guy to work. <laughs> I have three of the same necklace from there because I'm making a parent earrings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Brenos. Um, we appreciate your time and uh, your endless fount of knowledge. Yeah, sure. And uh, you have a good evening. Hey, peace be with you. Peace be with you, brother. <laughs> hope you've learned a lot from that because i know we did oh yeah uh, yeah brenos every time we talk to brenos we always learn something new like the, the guy's just it, it, he's awesome uh the his his ideas are so outside the box it's it's very refreshing it really is i i enjoy i enjoy my um my chats with brenos he helped me out big time when i was first starting out and uh, i wouldn't have known that there were gaulish groups if it weren't from brenos so you know, uh, I'll say it now, you know, thank you, Brenos, for helping me get on my path, because I would definitely just be dinking along <laughs> for one from. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very helpful. Usually when I've got something I'm not really understanding or having a hard time wrapping my brain around it, he's one of the ones I'll talk to, because I know if I just throw stuff at him, he'll be able to help 
me uh, kind of think through it, noodle through it. Yeah, oh yeah. And he's always got. It could be a short answer. It could be a long answer. But he will have an answer. I've never heard him just say, "Well, I don't know," and then just leave it at that. <laughs> Um, I have heard him say, I don't know, uh, but usually he'll say, I don't know, ask X person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get on with our virtue of the uh, month episode. Virtue of the episode. There we go. (laughs) Well, our virtue for this episode is, and you know what? This is my pronunciation. I'm sticking to it. It's trogokaria, which is compassion and empathy. But not just compassion and empathy it's empathy and sympathy without pity it's compassion within your limits and not letting it overwhelm you because you do have to show yourself the same compassion without without your own self-pity it's also understanding knowing when you can't provide any more compassion or empathy without it hurting yourself and letting yourself receive compassion and empathy from your tribe when you need it Now, for me, no lie, like I'm great with compassion and empathy for other people. I am terrible about my own, about having compassion to myself. It is one of the hardest things for me. I uh, hold myself to a standard that I frequently do not meet, and I don't necessarily have any self-pity about it. I just am not particularly compassionate with myself. And that's fair. I'm, I'm very much in that same boat. I mean, I've gotten better than I used to be. Uh, I, I was, uh, you know, years ago, I was uh, very much in a, in a pit of self-loathing. So, I mean, yeah, constantly berating myself and and just be, being harder on myself than I was with anyone else. Now it's a good, healthy balance where, you know, I call it like I see it, whether it's someone else or with myself. But I do try to uh, have that empathy and compassion and try to not... Uh, I, you know, get too much into the pity, um, again, with either others or myself. And, and, and it's not, it's not easy. And I think you know that, you know that perfectly well, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, I think that everybody experiences that sort of self-loathing at some point in time in their life. I know I have, most people I know have to a degree of some sort experienced that. I think this, I think that this sort of comes into play when you start to, move past it and you start to heal. Um, And that's when you start kind of giving yourself a little bit more compassion, um, giving yourself a little bit more room to breathe. And I do do that, but I also will come down harder on myself than I ever would on another person. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, I know I do. Like I'm more easy to forgive other people than myself. Uh, and that does lead to lead to me living with quite a bit of regret. And, uh, you know, it's in a, so I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you know, live without regret. It is near impossible in my mind to do that because, like you said, I'm, I hold myself up to a certain standard. And, like, you know, I'm human, so I do accept my mistakes and my uh, my setbacks. But there are certain ones that are, in my mind, unacceptable. I Like, I, I should have known better. Like, uh, and it can be small, it can be big, but, uh, uh, it, it is something, a skill that we definitely need to learn is to, um, have that kind of self-forgiveness of uh, that empathy towards ourselves, uh, uh, like you, we, like we would to other people. Cause, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I find it way easier to have that 
compassion and empathy to others. And it's, it's just, I have to put more muscle when, when applying it to myself. Mm-hmm. At what point do you consider sympathy turning into pity? Well, I, I guess on a, on a personal note, oh man, I, don't, I probably don't want to tell that story because the guy I think listens to this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe not that one. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I, I have. I guess I I don't want to say I have relatives because I know I've been that relative where uh, you know the, the the kind of the black sheep of the family where oh yeah I've been that relative know, you, 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 <laughs> yeah I know I've, I've I I I I know my younger brother would probably still consider me the black sheep but that's a that's a whole another quagmire of nonsense you know you have a family member that you you, you love to death and you want the best for them but you you see them making these decisions or living their life in a way that. Uh, and it's not it kind of it's not just well I wouldn't live that way if if he is or if they are they're they, you know hopefully they're happy but like when you sympathize with that and it, when it when it kind of crosses that line into pity it, it, it I guess pity will uh, kind of negates respect if that makes any sense where you can you can be sympathetic you... to a person and still have. A, so maybe like when you start viewing that person as lesser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to explain it. Because when you can you can be sympathetic to a person and still have high regard and respect for them, but once you pity a person, maybe not intentionally, but subconsciously, they are kind of lower or lesser to you. That makes sense. That's yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that's definitely not a good space to be in, or at least or to either for ourselves or for others. We, we kind of all want to be on the same playing field, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's when compassion turns to pity is when you start viewing that person as lesser, even if it's not a, a sort of conscious thought. Now, I know that compassion within, within your limits, that's another one that I struggle with. Um, I am one of those people who will show compassion to the point of destroying myself. That is something that is uh, pretty unhealthy for anyone to do. Uh, the em- letting empathy and compassion sort of eat you to the point of um, self-destruction, whether it's financial ruin or um, emotional ruin or even, you know, a physical ruin. Um, it's one of those things you have to be very careful with because being compassionate can be consuming. Oh, yeah, it can be. Well, I know for, you know, for, for people, for people that have, you know, like myself, I'm going through a divorce people that have had like a bad past, you know, relationship. And like, you, obviously you, you had feelings for that person at one point, depend, doesn't matter how bitter you are now. And I'm definitely speaking for myself there, but it's like, you look back and you kind of want to look through rose colored glasses, but it is very, like you said, damaging on, on definitely an emotional level. At least that's my experience. Yeah, uh, it, I've, I've let it, I've let it damage me emotionally. I've let it damage me physically. I've let it damage me financially. I've, I've done it all. Um, I try and be very careful about how much compassion or empathy I show, um, just because it is very easy for me to sort of get consumed by it. Um, I, I like helping people. And so that makes me a little more prone to overdoing it, one might say. Oh, yeah. But overall, I think that it's a good, as long as you maintain that balance, it really is an excellent um, virtue to apply to 
your everyday life. Oh, absolutely. And, and yes, it, it's a slippery slope once you kind of fall out of that balance because it's damaging definitely to yourself, it, it, whether it's emotional, financial, uh, sometimes physical. Um, that, that's been me. I'm a big guy. So, you know, I've had friends and family, oh, hey, come help me move. And then, you know, by the end of the day, I'm like physically a wreck because I kind of overdid it. And then I have my own life the next day and I, I'm walking into it like sore or possibly, you know, minor injury that I'm ignoring. Cause, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, it's, you have to find that balance. And I think that's definitely the key to this virtue. Um, normally I would try to find a historical moment where this can be applied. I, 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 I don't think I, I, I couldn't, I tried. Um, it's, you know, we don't have a whole lot of record on the Gauls where I could see a story or a, an event where, you know, compassion, empathy, or, or, you know, although, 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 hang on a second. I know I've mentioned it before. It's a name I, I forgot to write down again, so I'm not even going to bother pr- pronouncing it. But the, uh, the, the, the Adui Druid slash chieftain who sided with Caesar, I mean, he did all that out of compassion for his own people, but it, mm-hmm. while, you know, a, a lot of what he said was written down. It's it's one of the few, you know, written sources on the Gauls that we have. It did come at a cost is that it, 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 in the end, you know, his people were dominated by Rome. So it was a, it was an act of compassion, but with a pretty heavy cost. So I, I guess there's a historical example there. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a pretty good ex- historical example. All right. Well, um, I think I've exhausted that pretty much. How about you? Yeah, I think we've beaten that one to the ground. All right. So thank you so much for tuning in to listen here with us on Gallcast. Next month, we're going to start a series called Oh My Gods. It will be a three-part series. Uh, the first part will be the Gaulish gods. The next part will be ancestors. And the third part will be spirits. And that will cover from March all the way through May. Please make sure you do tune in for that. Uh, you can leave us feedback on our uh, comment sections on whichever podcast platform you listen to you can also find us at gallcast.com you can find us on our social media our twitter is gallcast podcast and our instagram and facebook are both just gallcast uh and off of our off of any one of our social medias you should be able to find our patreon as well so go ahead and uh support us if you can whether that's just by sharing or by uh joining our patreon thank you for having us Definitely send us questions because this was really hard to kind of come up with animism questions on our own. But, uh, <laughs> thank you for the <laughs> thank you for the few questions we did get. So, um, yes, please, if you have questions for us to ask each other or ask the guests, send them to us. Uh, do some of that work for us. I appreciate. I would appreciate it. All right, I think we're all done. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I think it's time for me to go to sleep. I think it is so, time for you to go um, to sleep. Thank you. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Thank you, guys. uh, See you next time.